You're listening to the Unlocking Africa podcast. I believe that we're now living in an age where Africans need to tell their own stories from their own perspectives. We managed to grow the brand almost threefold from about 16 restaurants to slightly over 40. We look for brands that are ripe for scale. We acquire them, restructure and grow them to unlock African brand potential. If you have been to Nairobi, you'll know that we have quite interesting restaurant and retail concepts and more coming up on almost a daily basis. On the African continent is the access to capital for African entrepreneurs. Stay tuned as we bring you inspiring people who are unlocking Africa's economic potential. You're listening to the Unlocking Africa podcast with your host, Tessa Adamu. Welcome to the Unlocking Africa podcast, where we find amazing people who are doing amazing things to unlock Africa's economic potential. Today, we have another special guest. We have Leonard Mudachi, who is the Chief Vision and Growth Officer at Bral, which is a restaurant and retail development and management company that identifies local restaurants and retail brands with high potential for growth. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the podcast, Leonard. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you very much. So how's your day so far? Not bad, not bad. I'm actually seated on the Kenyan coast in, a, in a small town called Kilifi. And, and it's a pleasure to be here with you. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. I'm not sure if you've listened to the podcast before. Yes, I, I've listened to a couple of shows. And uh, I must commend you on the work that you're doing because I believe that we're now living in an age where Africans need to tell their own stories from their own perspectives. And uh, it's great to see you doing your small portion of that. Yes, we all have a duty to contribute. No matter how big or small it is, it's all towards the course and we all move forward together. So it's great to hear that you've listened to the podcast. You'll know that I like to start from the beginning. So I was hoping that you could introduce yourself and tell us a bit more about Leonard Mudachi. Uh, great. Um, like you said, my name is Leonard Modachi. I'm a Kenyan by birth. I live and work in Kenya professionally uh, by training. I'm a restauranteur. Restaurant, I studied hotel and restaurant management and um, worked both abroad in Switzerland, in the States, and then came back home. Started my local career at home, worked within local restaurant companies for about eight years and then went out into the world of entrepreneurship and tried my hand at several ventures on the restaurant front with mixed levels of success. Long, painful entrepreneurship journey, but enjoyed it tremendously and kept on observing various things. And I think the things that I observed are what has brought me to where I am today, which we'll speak about shortly. After venturing into entrepreneurship, I then went back to employment where I worked for one of the largest restaurant chains in our market, managing their growth. They had just got some private equity investment and I was managing their growth and development, which was mainly negotiating with landlords for spaces, fitting them out, and then running them as restaurants. And we managed to grow the brand almost threefold, from about 16 restaurants to slightly over 40, which was a very, very interesting journey. 
And that's what has led me to form Bral, which is a branded restaurants and retail Africa. And what we do is, as you said in your introduction, is we look for brands that are ripe for scale. We acquire them, restructure and grow them to unlock African brand potential. Brilliant. Thank you for that, Leonard. You've given us an insight into your professional work as a restaurateur, which has taken you around the world. You've worked for some of the largest restaurant brands in the world and also ventured into the world of entrepreneurship, which has led you to launching Brow. You slightly touched upon the work that you do at Brawl, but I was hoping you could go into more detail in terms of what the company does, what you're doing in Africa, and what you hope to achieve in the long term. Okay. Maybe before I tell you specifically what you do, I'll just tell you briefly how we came to do what we're doing. Yes. So the last 15 years in Kenya, I've seen a lot of private equity attention in our market, which has seen... As you all know, venture capital and private equity tend to chase scale and they don't buy businesses that they cannot scale. So we have seen quite a bit of private equity and venture capital scale local businesses. However, a majority of the private equity and venture capital firms operating in the Kenyan market are not Kenyan in origin. So whatever value they unlock is then extracted and taken to wherever the specific funds are domiciled. And um, a, a statistic that I had from a friend of mine who did quite an interesting transaction was that 80% in one particular tech company of the value that was developed was extracted and left the African continent because the African shareholders were holding on to just 20% of the value. That for me was unsettling, largely because we have the technical know-how, we have the skill on the ground, we are running the restaurants, and yet when value is unlocked, which is unlocked by the people who are cooking, serving, and giving the customers an exceptional experience, a large portion of that value is then extracted. So I said, what does the journey of doing this in an African context look like? I said, okay, so we what is... Uh, the hard work or the heavy lifting when it comes to transaction. It's raising the capital. You can only do these things if you have the capital. I said, okay, I know how to build the brands. I know how to develop them. I know how to put together the teams that can unlock value. So let me start by finding the capital and then acquiring brands, which I think have good potential to scale, giving the founders in those brands, should they choose to a dignified exit, by giving them a fair market price for their asset. And then I begin the journey of restructuring and growing them. So in a nutshell, that is what Brawl does. We look for restaurant and retail brands. I think Kenya has a very good base of that. If you have been to Nairobi, you'll know that we have quite interesting restaurant and retail concepts and more coming up on almost a daily basis. And they tend to be quite good by an international standard. But what they then struggle with is scale. And largely because scale is not just selling of more of the product, but there's a lot that comes with scale that is a bit different. When you think about uh, when you scale up a business, you need structures for people, you need structures for financial reporting and financial controls. And all of these need to evolve with the company as a company is growing. And so I think that's the missing link. 
and if I can bridge the gap to the capital and then find the brands, which I think I see in the market are there. And I think we could have a very interesting story to tell in a few years. You mentioned that you've seen a lot of VC and private equity activity in the Kenya market, and these institutions are not local, which usually leads to them extracting the value out of the market. So can you tell us more about Brow's unique approach to identifying, investing or scaling local restaurants and retail brands? I think fundamentally we're looking to build what I call dignifying African brands. We're not out to cut and paste what we have seen in the West or what we have seen in other markets, but rather we're looking to be inspired by that or those stories, global stories of growth and say, what do these stories look like in an African context? There's so much happening in the African continent now. And what does urbanization mean from an African lens? Yes, we can build the modern roads and the modern skyscrapers, but the modern urban experience that's uniquely African, I'm sure if you travel around the capital cities of Africa, they all have their unique vibrancies. Yes. Whether it's Lagos or Accra or Nairobi or Cape Town or Johannesburg, Cairo, they're all unique in their own unique ways. And what does that African experience look like? So we're looking to build brands that respond to the needs of the African consumer yet one, are unapologetically African, and two, curate the African experience. So what we tend to look for in the brands that we want to acquire is a base, you know, a, a good brand. It could be a host of issues. Of course, we start with the brand. Is the brand workable? If the brand is not workable, maybe there's a good team in place that we can use as a platform for growth, yeah? Or maybe there's a fundamentally a very good product or a combination of two or three of those things. And we then, in our due diligence process, assess and see how the fit is. And we say, can we put together a complementary team to the existing one or a new team to unlock value out of this brand that is maybe one or two outlets as we speak? Now, uh, the big difference with us is because we are African and we tend to raise our capital from local sources, or that is our aim, to raise the capital from local sources, because this is the case with us, then we don't have a traditional private equity exit. We're not time-bound from that perspective. In fact, our aim is to hold on to the assets as long as we can and to ultimately give the employees who are creating that value in the assets a chance to own a piece. So we're hoping to see a time when we can be party to revitalizing or seeing more local IPOs in the Nairobi Stock Exchange as a means of raising capital, but also as a means of creating value and uh, disseminating wealth to the rank and file who work in our organizations should be so lucky to create them. I really liked what you said about aiming to create dignified brands which are truly unapologetically African. Can you describe how your experience of losing your brand has influenced the way you currently approach scaling local restaurants and retail brands in Kenya? The experience of of my loss earlier on in my career? Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, it has been a great influence. I mean, when I opened my first restaurant, I was naive to the nature, I guess, of capitalizing restaurants. I knew restaurant operations really well. 
That means if you walked into a restaurant that I was working in as a manager, which was my experience up until that time, um, if I served you, you'd have a pleasant experience because I knew how to create that experience. So I was telling a friend the other day that I knew the restaurant business well, but I did not know the business of restaurants, which is the capitalization side. What does an investor look for? How do they get a return? How do you give them a return? Um, I was a bit blind to that because I'd never experienced it. So one of the reasons for losing my first venture was hindsight is always 20-20. And as I look back, I see that I grossly undercapitalized the business. And that gross undercapitalization was largely because of naivety uh, into the cycles of, of funding required to successfully launch a new brand. And what kind of uh, capital support would be required to successfully launch a brand that has never existed in the market before. And so those are some of the things that I bring with me now. So I try to ensure that the brands that we acquire have sufficient funding. It's easier said than done, but it's a journey I believe that's worth taking, that they have sufficient capital to give them a fighting chance of success even through the early stages of, you know, if you, if you buy a brand and you refresh the brand and you set up the system, those may affect profitability in the early stages. But if you do them right, they should lead to increased returns in the future. Now, can you have the brand survive that phase in order to unlock that value in the future? I think that by far is the biggest lesson that I bring with me from my past. Because I've been through the pain of closing down a business that, you know, you put tender loving care into to run and develop. Um, I try to ensure that I can do that better. Another thing that I think I carry with me from my past is uh, sharing the value with people, particularly your team. Uh, restaurants and hospitality and retail, by definition, are very people-intensive industries. Um, even with e-commerce, we are learning that there's a strong people component that needs to be maintained and developed. And if you dedicate your career to working into an emerging restaurant chain, I believe that sometime down the line, that salary won't be enough, particularly for those really strong and dedicated staff uh, that bend over backwards to make the brands real brand assets. Yeah. So I, I try to build models that will allow the people working in them to cross into the ownership ranks in the future. And that's something that I'm really passionate about and hope that I get to achieve in the future. I try to ensure that any investors I bring on board are clear to the fact that we're not just trying to extract value, but we're also trying to distribute wealth because I think strong teams well-built who can get value from the perspective of who can get value in, in from the business and collect if, if you've given me five years of service and the business is doing well and we take it to the stock exchange and we have a strong and vibrant ESOP there that can give you personal value and personal wealth as an individual, chances are you'll be attracted to stay longer in the company. Because while we have um, Western, Asian, and American examples of staff getting equity value from businesses that they work in, particularly in the middle to lower cadre staff on the African continent, you don't have much of that. Our, our economies have tended to be very extractive. 
and, and not creating alternative wealth channels for the staff. We are hoping to be a vehicle to do that more. Thank you for that. Earlier, you mentioned that you aim to scale restaurants that are unapologetically and authentically African without extracting value. So how does Brawl balance maintaining the authenticity of the acquired brands with the need to also optimize their performance? I think one of the most interesting things we are seeing in this season that kind of inspires me a lot is the emergence of the African music scene. Yeah, there's a clear global buzz at the moment about Afrobeats. Yes. And I think Afrobeats is a great lesson for me and one that I hope to emulate because they have created music that is African in a modern context. And I think that is so unique. I envy my children. I have three kids and I envy them. I tell them because... My firstborn is about 12 years old now. And when you look at her music playlist, it's 95% Africa. Yes. Yeah. As a 12-year-old Kenyan, a middle-class Kenyan, at the same age, there were no playlists per se, but my collection of tapes and records was, I would say, 80 to 90% American. Yes. Yeah. And so there's something happening there in a cultural context. So what I try to do is take this, can I call it a cultural revolution and curate it in an African example. Like one of our first businesses we have acquired is a cake business. yeah, And we are about 11 months into restructuring it for growth. And we have now started the growth of the journey of growth. And cakes are cakes. Cakes may not be a traditional African item but they have become mainstream in that in almost every house, a cake is expected at birthday time. So what does it mean to use local ingredients in making these cakes? For example, blueberry muffins. Uh, Blueberry is not typically an African berry, yeah? But what's the equivalent? You know, can we create products? And we're really looking forward to going through the R&D journey of developing these products that conform to an African experience, but also palatable in an international standard and setting. So that journey remains an interesting one. I'm enjoying it tremendously. Pulling teeth in the course of the way, but I think we can really build something interesting because we are Africans. We have our pulse on the ground and we feel that we can connect with people in ways that foreign brands imported into the country just can't. You touched upon the uniqueness and I guess modernization of African culture, which it's evolved, but it still keeps its intrinsic African identity and heritage. With that in mind, how does Brawl ensure that the local and regional brands in your portfolio maintain, I guess, their cultural relevance as they expand into new markets? Um. We have not yet reached the stage where we have. So I'll speak to what the question you've asked a bit hypothetically. We look forward in the next year or two in expanding to other markets. But we are very keen to build our brands using local teams. And local teams, as you build them in the restaurant industry, restaurant teams tend to be relatively young. 
And younger teams are great curators of the culture or the pulse of whatever market you're going into. And we believe that if we give those, if we embolden and empower those teams, yeah, they will enable us, that connection between us and them by that empowerment will enable us to see what works in different markets from a very unique lens. Not a command and control structure where we tell them this is who we are and we are good, you're bad, uh, do it my way. But more an inclusive model that enables the information to trickle up from the teams on the ground up to us who are developing the concepts so that we can build brands that are relevant to the local markets. Um, I've learned a lot in the last 11 months since we acquired the cake business. And maybe 40 to 50% of the original business plan that informed my acquisition has changed. And that has changed as a result of interaction with the team that I inherited from the sellers of the business or the people who sold the business to Brad. And you learn, we have uh, people between maybe early 30s to uh, 25, 26 there. And that's the age range of our team. And the kind of insights they give us and their pulse on the ground and the, the way they enjoy the African experience, we feel that if we can curate that model and continue to tweak it and improve on it, I think it can be the basis for a very, very interesting journey of building African brands. So you've talked about the importance of the structure of your internal teams and the success of the work that you do. So if you look more within, I guess, the model that you use in terms of browse, acquire, restructure, rebrand, optimize kind of model work, what are the key elements that make it successful? Um, I think the key models that will make it successful are, one, we are local. I think there's an asset that has not been valued, but even in the private equity transaction is not valued. And that asset is local context. I'm Kenyan proudly so, and I'm an African, yeah, and proudly so too. And my pulse on what is happening here is local. So it's not seen from a foreign lens. I have the benefit of foreign experience, but I experience that locally. So when I'm building systems, I build systems knowing that it's local. Let me give you a very simple example. There's a certain way that Africans mourn when it comes to death or bereavement of a family member. Yes. Now, if you don't incorporate that understanding into your HR structure, yeah, you'll have some very demoralized people working for you. You know, we don't mourn in our European fashion. So when someone tells you he wants to take a week off or a couple of weeks off to go and bury his father, if you have not thought about that from the context of designing the HR structure for the business, then you can't really connect with your teams completely. So when I say we are out to build dignifying African brands, it's not just from the perspective of the customer. It's also from the perspective of the employee. Uh, we really look forward to a time when employees will be able to point out to say, I work there and I'm proud to work there because they see me, they see me as I am and they understand me as a Kenyan. Yeah. So that's one. Two, we feel that local with built to an international standard is something that hasn't been uh, explored to its complete depth. I think that's a huge potential. 
Just like when you go to London, for example, or to New York, you're able to see diverse cultures represented there in the food scene. Where is the Africa in this conversation? We do have, thankfully, a few African brands that have been built and exported to other markets. But I think there's scope for a lot more, and we are hoping to build them. So local context is a key perspective of ours. But a big one that we are hoping to unlock is unlocking the potential of African capital, whether it's local from our local pension funds and financing institutions, but also from the large component of the African diaspora. If we can think ways of of unlocking this capital to build the brands of the future in Africa, that's something that we are really looking forward to and we hope we have success in doing. Thank you, Frida. So you've detailed in terms of building processes and systems which align with the local context as you believe it will have a huge impact on the growth of the brands. So if we look outside of that in terms of, say, technology, What role has technology played in Brow's growth strategy for the restaurants and brands that you're working with? So again, I'll piggyback on our first acquisitions, which is a cake business. We realize that Kenya and Kenyans are very technologically savvy. We are one of the most modern markets on the globe from a mobile money perspective. But what a lot of e-commerce players have found is that The e-commerce model of the West in its traditional sense is not 100% transferable to the African context. Uh, We don't necessarily have addresses like the way the Europeans have addresses. So hybrids of that model are evolving. So we, in our Cakes and Cakes Bakery Limited business, have come up with what we are calling a brick-and-click model where we have physical, a combination of physical locations and a strong e-commerce site, which we are hopefully launching in the next two weeks. And so that e-commerce site will be both an ordering platform, but backed up by physical locations. So the brick is the physical locations and the click is the e-commerce site. And we think that hybrid that complement the two is what we're looking forward to unlocking potential from. So leveraging the technology, but acknowledging that that technology in a traditional European or Western sense does not cut and paste in an African context. For example, you being in the diaspora, you would be able to order a cake for your mom, but she can pick it up from our store and the store will be positioned somewhere that is convenient for her to do so. Alternatively, you could order the cake and get us to deliver it from that physical location to her address. So that's the brick and click model. So the brick being the physical location and the click being a strong e-commerce component supportive of that. So that's one of the ways. And of course, internally, we are developing and tweaking ERP systems to support that growth. But ERP systems that acknowledge how we work in that local context. And I must say, it's a bit of a difficult aspect of what we do because not many systems are designed with the African consumer in mind. But hopefully that's something that we can play a role in changing as we grow and develop. 
So you've shared some of these success stories, such as the cake business and how you're leveraging technology to meet demands and growth. So I was wondering, how do you strike a balance between meeting the needs and desires of the restaurant and also catering to the expectations and demands of investors in the industry? So fortunately, we've not reached the stage where we have to answer that question completely because our funding is largely internal. So the cakes business serves as the business that's going to build our playbook for future acquisitions. We have um, been able to take it this far on our own resources, and we are hoping that going forward, it will serve as a template for investors to come and see, okay, we can now see what you're able to do, and we can give you a chance to do it better. But we feel by the time we get to that stage, we'll have built a template that we can defend and justify, like some of the things we want to do with our people, some of the way we want to involve them uh, by creating wealth and transforming their lives. We feel that if we can get these things up and running in a small to medium-sized business, we think that there are very strong points that are transferable into business uh, into larger businesses. And let's be honest, happy staff give you happy customers. That's a tried and tested model globally. And we want to try it and test it in a local context and see if we can build a strong basket of African brands that are not only selling good products to the market, but are also empowering African employees to grow and develop themselves and ultimately take an ownership stake in the business. So again, if you can get the employees to take an ownership stake, you've then transitioned them into your investor ranks because they now become shareholders in the business and the success of the business is dependent on them. And that's a very good story. And a story that we hope to see emulated, particularly in the hotel side of the Africa hospitality sector, if we could have more African hoteliers being owners, I think that could be a very, very interesting story uh, because we have the talent and the ability to do so. Uh, the ownership is what would make the difference. Yes, I agree. So you've mentioned that you've not had to contend with the demands of investors as most of your capital has come from internal sources. So when you're investing with your internal sources of capital, what do you look for in a business before investing? Um, of course, you can never run away from financial performance. So financial performance, how is the product, the base product? Is it a good product? How is it selling the market? But I'll be honest, I also look for inefficiencies because inefficiencies uh, that I see an opportunity to tweak and improve on and unlock greater value. So when you see those, like I did in the cakes business, I was like, okay, this business is small, a bit smaller than I'm used to, but it's profitable. And despite it being profitable, I know the talent that it can unlock greater uh, value out of it. And it has a good base domain so that the website was cakes.co.ke. As a Kenyan, I don't think you can get a better domain than that for cakes. <laughs> no. So you then say, okay, there are some key building blocks that are interesting here that I can tap into and build on to create something even more interesting than what they currently have. So that's what I feel will be going out to look for. 
And there's no shortage of areas of growth and development in the local market. Just think of anything that people are buying or selling or eating, yeah? And with the right uh, science of branding and marketing and uh, product development, we could, I think, create very, very interesting things. By bringing in the science into the brands that we acquire and knowing how to apply it without losing the local context. Because I think that's a big, big component. We have numerous examples in Kenya of people who've walked into the market and ignored local context. Yeah. Um, and, you know, with several million dollars of investment capital, only to pack up within a year or less, uh, because they took for granted the needs of the African consumer. And the modern-day African consumer is not a mini European or mini American consumer. He or she have their own unique aspirations, goals, inspirations. And if we can capture these and use them to build the brands, we could be on to something. I agree, I agree. So outside of the capital that you're hoping to provide, in East Africa, what are the typical methods of financing for restaurants and retail brands? That's a very interesting question and a very good one. Um, but I feel also a bit of a sad one because I think one of the, the issues that is stifling growth on the African continent is the access to capital for African entrepreneurs. That is a challenge that I have faced numerous occasions in my career and continue to face to date in the sense that the financial institutions or the traditional financial institutions in the banks want traditional collateral, which entrepreneurs may not necessarily have. So in the restaurant scene, you find that people make do with what they can, not what they need. And I learned this in my first experience with working for a private equity-owned company. When I got into a company and got a chance to execute without the limitations of capital, I was a bit flabbergasted at how successful we could be when given the right resources. And that got me scratching my head. Here I was jumping into this job after closing my restaurants. And seeing the difference that adequate capitalization has made me really take pause and say, this can be done. But in an African continent, it's something that we need to address. And I think addressing it will begin by unlocking some of the local capital sources to invest their money locally. I think there's a disconnect between African intellect and African equity. And if we can connect those two worlds together, uh, you have Africans, top draw Africans working all across the globe, you know, in multinationals, in investment banks, in healthcare. Yet those same Africans cannot get adequate capital to come and execute on the African continent. If we bridge that gap, I think we'll be onto something. And uh, in a multiple of ways, of course, I can't ignore the market I operate in. So I do tap into traditional sources of debt, of equity, but I'm also exploring how do I convince the Kenyan pension funds to, to, to jump into this bandwagon? Uh, how do I convince some of uh, my local friends who are running funds for international players? How do I convince them to set up African funds 
and try and raise African capital from African sources to see what a difference that would make. So it's a long and arduous journey, but it's one that I guess I'm willing to take and hope to see success from. Thank you for that. So you've mentioned how access to capital is stifling growth in the East African restaurant scene. So for those African entrepreneurs looking to scale their restaurant business, what advice would you give to them? Um, I think my first piece of advice is scale your outfit down to the smallest size that will allow you to execute it well. In the sense that don't go too large and your capital uh, limitations are significant, but get the size that matches the cash in your pocket because that platform of that successful small outfit will then give you a fighting chance to raise capital or to access capital to grow it better. So don't compromise your standards, uh, but rather scale it down. If your vision was to fit maybe a 120-seater fine dining Afrofusion restaurant and you don't get the funding for that, scale it down to a 40-seater. You know, Maybe that, that, that is what your funding can now allow you. And then execute that 40-seater exceptionally. Yeah. Second, I would say be a purveyor of African excellence whatever excellence means to you in an African context, so that we can say this is excellent to us because of one, two, three, four. And we know these things. We know what we think about how we respect old people, things that are really important to Africa. Build those into your brand. Third, I'd say if you're able to create a model that enables you to disseminate your wealth to the wealth you're creating with your outfit to more people, then do so. It may take you longer to raise or to achieve your personal financial goals, but I think it's of greater value if you're working with a team than if you're operating solo. Thank you for that. Great pieces of advice and insights. So outside of access to capital, what changes do you believe need to take place in order to drive change or progress in Africa's retail and restaurant industry? Um, I think there are some of the things that are in our control and some that aren't. Yes. I think that the things that are out of our control are more policy-driven. We can lobby for those changes, but they, they tend to be a bit harder. But... One of the things I admire about the Kenyan market is in almost every sector, without exception, any international player that walks into the market will have to contend with a local player doing a pretty decent job of it. You can't ignore them, whether it's, it be a bank or a coffee house. We are really good at building African brand in the country of Kenya. Now, what does that look like when those African brands are funded right? Yeah. So we're now starting to see Kenyan couple of Kenyan banks venturing out of into other regional countries. What does that look like if the funding was available for that to happen in multiple sectors? What if we're able to disseminate this sector-driven African intellect? to execute the development of African brands. What does that success story look like? And once it succeeds, what kind of wealth and capital will it unlock for other 
segments of the economy to thrive. Those are the things that keep me up at night and, and those are the things that we are hoping to develop so that when my daughter and my daughters and son are in their 20s, they can look back and say, okay, this is the place we built and this is what it can be. We can also take it to the next level. Sounds great. And I look forward to seeing that in the future. So if we look at what's currently happening now, would you say that there are more locally owned brands emerging in this space? Or is it still dominated by multinational, international companies? Fortunately, in Kenya, we have a very good base of locally built brands in both the restaurant and the restaurant and the retail space. I'm the current chair of the Retail Trade Association of Kenya. Yes. And we have a very good, uh, our membership uh, draws from local restaurant and retail brands. And they are amazing brands that are Kenyan and built locally and growing. Doesn't mean that there's no place for international brands. But what I like about the market is international brands come in not to find an empty void. But to come in and play in a market where there are already local players play. And that also has its benefits because those international brands come with new ways of doing things, new standards that uh, so there's there's a cross-functional learning by having multiple players in the market. And that's the market that I'd like to see evolve. Um, and not only evolve, but if that that thinking or that ethos can spread into other African countries where you're not just coming and saying, when a supermarket opens, an international supermarket opens or an international restaurant opens, they come and contend in the playing field of the market with existing local brands and let the customer be the one to judge based on the quality of experience that he's receiving. And I think that's a worthy challenge for anyone, not just me in the restaurant and retail space. But I think that's a worthy challenge for anyone to take up in the journey of building African brands. So you'd agree that currently there is a positive trend of local brands? Definitely. Without a doubt, at least I can speak authoritatively for Kenya, uh, that we do have some really admirable local brands that are growing and developing in a wide segment of the market in retail and restaurants. Brilliant. That's great to hear that there is a positive trend of local brands. So if we look closer at trends, what trends in Kenya's restaurant industry are you currently excited about? I'm excited a lot about the marriage between, um, we spoke earlier about the brick and click model. Yes. Um, the pandemic kind of caught the local restaurant industry a bit flat footed in that we did not uh, see it coming and the ecosystems hadn't developed and evolved enough. But now I think I learned a lot from failure and uh, the failures that came with the pandemic, I think have really shaken the market in a very positive way because my first thing that excites me is the emergence of e-commerce when complemented with the physical locations. Um, my second thing that excites me is also leaning a bit of technology, seeing what technology, what benefits technology will bring to back of house systems that will enable us to grow and develop them even better. And lastly, uh, people, 
we are constantly being informed how much Africa is the youthful continent. Why don't we make this youthfulness work for us, both in terms of developing brands that the youth will consume and not only consume, but that will employ the youth and, and truly begin to unlock the value. And lastly, if we could then have local and regional brands growing and consuming local produce that is grown locally and local ingredients that are processed and value added locally, then I think we're really tapping into something that's very interesting. So you've detailed that you're excited about the emergence of e-commerce and the benefits of technology. So if you look past current trends and look at the future of Africa, where do you see East Africa, Kenya's restaurant industry in the next five years' time? I would say if you are to take the last 10 years, I think we have seen the most vibrant growth in the local restaurant scene that we have seen since I, I guess I started uh, looking into this about 30 years ago. But the next five years would see a lot more activity, continued growth and development. I think you'll see the emergence of more brands. You're seeing people evolving from being Instagram sellers into freestanding restaurants. And that's another interesting story. So we will continue to see that emergence of both technology-driven and culturally-driven restaurant and uh, retail growth. And uh, it causes me nothing but excitement to see that, that that is an option that has emerged and continues to emerge in the market. If I was a betting mad, I would bet on more growth and more development. In Kenya, we are seeing as a result of Kenya's devolution with the new 2010, it's no longer new, or with the 2010 constitution, Devolution came around and we saw a lot of urbanization. We are seeing a lot of urbanization out of the more traditional cities. And with this urbanization, I think you'll see opportunities to grow and develop more brands into these markets, which I think will be quite telling when the numbers start to report. Fantastic. So if we look closer to home, where do you see yourself and Brawl in five years' time? Um, I mean, Touchwood, I'd like us to be the basket of brands that we aspire to. If we can have like five to six brands in our arsenal and each of those in our basket and each of those brands being multi-unit or in their operations in diverse segments of the restaurant and retail space, I think I can, I can retire into the sunset with a smile on my face. Quote of the week. One question which I ask each guest, it's as people, we often have quotes, mantras, proverbs or affirmations that keep us going when times are challenging or when times are good. Do you have one that you can share with us today? Yeah, I'll share one that I think inspires me to keep plodding along in what I'm doing. And it's the famous, um, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together with people. And that's what we are hoping to do. We want to go far by taking those that accompany us on that journey together with us, both from the perspective of wealth creation and growth and development for themselves and ourselves. I agree. And I guess it keeps with the theme of keeping things authentically African. It's about community. It's about moving forward together. Yes, it is. Brilliant, brilliant. So as we're coming to the close of today's conversation, 
I was wondering if you had any final remarks, calls to action for people who are interested in the work that you're doing. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, take a look at our our website www.bral.ke, which is www.bral.ke. See what we are doing, and if it's something that interests you or that you'd like to see how we can partner, we're all about strategic partnerships do drop us a line and we look forward to hearing from you. We are very excited about Africa and being African. And uh, we are fighting for our seat at the table in this journey of Africa's growth and development. And we look forward to as many of you that are interested in joining us doing so. Thank you, Leonard. That has been a wonderful conversation. It's been a conversation that has raised a lot of questions and touched on areas I've not previously considered, but I do plan to look further into them. So thank you for sharing your insight and your knowledge and experience with us today. I've really enjoyed today's conversation. And thank you. I mean, I've really enjoyed the interview and I like your interview style and and, uh, I've enjoyed it and we look forward to sharing a meal with you when you're next in the streets of Nairobi. Oh, definitely, definitely. I look forward to that. So yeah, we'll be keeping in touch and I'll be keeping a close eye on how things develop with Brow. And I say once again, absolute pleasure. Thank you for your time today. Thank you very much and have a good evening. Take care. Thank you to everyone who has listened and stayed tuned to the podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share or tell a friend about it. You can also rate review us in Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your podcast. Thank you and see you next week for the Unlocking Africa podcast.